Welcome to another episode of Failing Forward. I'm your host, Steve Hofsetter. As always, please like, share, comment, subscribe. Do all the stuff you do to support your favorite shows. That's the way it works these days. And I'm joined by someone you will recognize immediately, Hal Sparks. Yes, how are you? Who has been on a, in, in a billion things. That's right. Ubiquity um, is my bi- my main <laughs> weapon. Yes. The the one I actually think is some of your best work uh-huh. is Dude, Where's My Car? Sure. Well, you would, because you, you, anybody who owns more than one bong, that's it's, immediately- I've never smoked. I'm just kidding. I've never, no, but that's the thing, yeah. but I still I still yeah. loved it. We were talking about it before you came in, that it's a very, it's a, it's a I believe, uh, Mark, our producer, I believe his uh, phrase was a criminally underrated movie. Absolutely. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's so funny. The irony that- uh, people will sometimes be curious about whether you feel ashamed about that in particular, or they're like, "Is it bothering people? Are you a little weird out?" I mean, just, like, because they think it's stupid. And you're like, "Then it was the name of the movie from the very beginning. It was on the script. I wasn't surprised. Yeah, I didn't go in Merchant Ivory and come out, you know, uh, <laughs> trauma. It yeah. was, you know, it was intended to be as such from the beginning. And it was very, very funny. Yeah, it was like there are. There are dumb movies that are dumb movies. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then there are dumb movies that are like, oh, this is so, so good. So good, right? Yeah. yeah. And there's and this one came in swinging at dumb. You know what I yeah. mean? Like the pinata of dumb. Like I know there's candy in this thing. Absolutely. And that's and that's exactly what it was. It, it was a a it was a joy to make. B I audition. Talk about your odd failures, and this may dovetail into what we're talking about today. Yeah. But I went in and I auditioned for the Ashton Kutcher part. Really? But I knew full well. That I was not getting it from the moment, like from the moment they told me, because when I got the script, I was like, "Oh, Philip Stark wrote this. He writes for that '70s show. He wrote this for Ashton. There yeah. is no way I'm getting the brown hair guy role in this. It's yeah. just not happening." But what I figured was, uh, this is one of those things like, go show off your comedic chops for the casting person right. for something down the road. That right. theory. And so I go in there. And the Zoltan character, which I ended up playing, was like a whisper in the original script. It was two pages, I think. And the character was like, you saw him from over the shoulder petting a white cat. And he turns out to be a nerd later. But you only it's really just two scenes. And after my audition, I guess they, fle- they fleshed out that piece, right? And so by going in there and treating it like a real audition, I actually, you know, it became something. Still, when I got it, though... You know, the studio always wants to see an extra person or another yeah. uh, alternative, which is why they had people auditioning for Ashton Ashton's part. That's exactly. I mean, the the studio was always looking like, how can we get a cheaper Ashton for this? Like they're always right. trying to do that. So with the Zoltan character, same thing. Like, okay, we want him for it. We wrote it specifically to to balloon out so Sparks could do it. We want to see an alternative. The alternative they brought in, it was just down to uh, the final. They didn't bother a big casting call for it. They brought in one other person to audition against me. It was Bobcat Goldthwaite. And I am a, I've been a huge Bobcat fan since the 80s. Like, I, yeah. uh, like, he was one of my main influences early, early on about, you know, like mixing politics and humor very fluidly. Yeah. And a great stand-up, so too. So good. So good. Share yeah. the warmth, bulletproof. And um, and I loved him on, on Comic Relief when he's like, some people sing better in the shower. I think I'm funnier in the shower. So they brought out a shower, and yeah. he actually told his jokes while soaping himself up on a stage in a, in a tub with a curtain around it. Just great. And I've always loved him. And here I am, years later, sitting next to one of my heroes who I know they have brought in perfunctorily to not give him the role. Basically, yeah. they they're wasting his time. 
And like, it's a, such a dick move. And I don't even know how to introduce myself to him. And I can't, I don't know to this day if he hates my guts for that very thing or is feels like he dodged a bullet. I can't tell. But, um, <laughs> but like I had, like back when I was first starting out, like um, I used to literally walk around school going, ah, thank you very much. Um, ah, That's a my, very good impression. My, my mother. Um, yeah. <laughs> I love Holy Bobcat, shit, right? Yeah, that's I a do, good impression. I do a ridiculously good uh, Bobcat. Yeah. And I joked at one point about like, you're not doing the voice anymore. Can I do it? And I'll just tour. Yeah. As, like Gallagher 2 was going around the country. Oh my God. I'll just be Bobcat 2, you know, yeah. and do the whole like, I really like you too, you know, whatever. And then do a U2 song, that kind of shit. And um, so, uh, but I have a rule in my standup, which is you're not allowed to do impersonations of people who are already funny. One of my pet peeves, especially this happened in the 80s, and it dragged into the 90s, and it still exists to this day, is people who used to do Pee Wee or Seinfeld in their act, or they would do Robin Williams or yeah. something like that. I'm like, motherfucker, it's not an accident. They're funny on purpose. They worked out the timing. They worked out the jokes. There's a reason. Pee Wee is not some... You haven't noticed a person like Pee Wee Herman magically. Yeah. And then gone, whoa, you know what's funny about that guy? I'm like, of course, he's a comedic character. Yeah. It's like doing Clouseau on stage. Go fuck yourself. So I have this rule. So I won't do any impersonations of other comics. Um, the one area I break it is if I ever talk about Cosby and the case against him currently. Right. I think there's an instance of cutting against it because what's funny or shocking about the impersonation of Cosby now is it's it's conflict with his reality. Yeah. So you can kind of throw that together. That's different than just kind of doing basically a soft version of his bits. There's a there's a thing that pisses me off yeah. about impressions mm -hmm. when people just do an impression of something that the person's already said or the character has already said. Yes. And it's like you're just quoting a writer. Yes. And my favorite impression I've ever seen mm -hmm. was actually uh, someone who's not even a comic anymore. He's a stage actor now. Right. Tony nominated mm -hmm. uh, Steve Boyer. Okay. Who he's the kind of mimic that like we would we used to tour together and we would drive through a toll booth and he could just be the person. Right. Afterward. Right. And what he did is he did a Christopher Walken like everybody does, but he was just doing a bit about the Oscars, and he just. Had him be a presenter, he wasn't like, and then Christopher Walken's a presenter. Yes. The presenter character just happens to be Walken. Right. And I thought that that was so brilliant. Yeah. Because then all he's saying, literally the words and the award, uh, and the award goes to. Yeah. Those are the only words he said. Right. And it was brilliant because it was the, it was the antithesis of what everyone else was right. doing. Right, and it was, a, and it was an, ex it was exemplary of the absurdity of this crazy guy, essentially that we've all, uh, we've absorbed as normal. Yeah. into the entertainment world, who's really off kilter as a human being, and you're right. enjoying him in, like, especially in those elevated moments, because on the Oscars and any of those things, it's but we take these A-list actors who spend years honing a craft to be as personal and real as they possibly can, and we turn them into shitty TV anchor people. Yes, because the last thing they are trained to do is teleprompter yeah it's the most embarrassing <laughs> fucked up thing when you take your favorite actor you're like this is i've never seen someone embody that's why daniel day lewis never does it he never yeah. introduces anything basically is because he's probably the worst teleprompter reader in the history of earth and him and de niro de niro's terrible at it too um but but yeah so uh with there used to be a thing in the 80s where guys would just do you know jack nicholson you know you want fries with that or something like they put yeah. him in an absurd situation. I have total respect for that. That's the way you do it. 
take your weird person, take Schwarzenegger, and make him a, a guy selling TVs and fine, whatever, yeah. you know, like a couch potato, you know, a cut against the contrast. The worst is impressionists who describe the the elements of the impression to you and how they came upon doing the impression. So they're like, oh. If like, you ever notice, um, Woody Allen did a spoof of it in Everything You Want to Know About Sex But We're Afraid to Ask, where he's the jester in the very beginning. Yeah. And, he's, and the king goes... Uh, he's not funny. He's just, and he keeps going like, I let me do this bit for you. It just kills. It's a, it's the Duke of York and stuff. But you know, it's not so much the voice. It's the way he walks. If you've ever noticed, yeah. he limps to the right, and he's basically mocking impressionists who set up this whole thing and yeah. explain to you how good they are at their job. And then again, those guys are the ones that usually do the line from the movie already. The you can handle the truth moment. And you're like, yeah, fuck you, dude. And they're, they're also the, uh, it'll go a little something like, like this. this. Yeah, yeah. yeah right, that. That, like, uh, singers do that a lot. And you're like, with hits. And I'm like, it better go a lot of something like this, motherfucker, because that's what I came to hear. Yeah. There's nothing more atrocious than a band coming out. They have one hit. They do their whole record. And then when it comes to the hit, everyone's expecting, out comes two stools and a rug, and they do the acoustic <sighs> jazzed up version. Yeah. And I'm like, as a fan, I've never wanted to carry a chainsaw into a concert <laughs> venue and bum rush a stage more in my life than when that shit goes down. We're just, we're tossing it up. Or the cult, which I love, you know, Billy from the cult and all those guys, but like Ian can't stand his own hits, so he just barfs his way through them. He will only do the new stuff real and then everything. Yeah. All the hits, he's like, he'll joke about them. Like, I want to punch you in the face. Yeah, it's like, that's what, that's why you sold tickets. Yeah, and it's music. Sing the music. I don't yeah. give a shit if you like it anymore. If you're going to do it, do it. If you're not going to do it, don't do it. It's like, you know, that's my, commitment. My controversial opinion is that concerts suck. And it's oh, a right. it's a weird it's a weird as thing. a Kiss as, fan I will beg to differ but yes okay as a live entertainer yes. it's a weird thing for me to be like sure. I don't like live entertainment yeah but I enjoy music I enjoy perfect music gotcha like I enjoy the best version of that song sure which has already been done yeah and I have it and I can listen to it whenever I want and that's right I don't enjoy. Uh, the, most the, of it. The, the social experiment of going with a bunch of people and seeing if they can pull it off. Right. Which and, is always nervous. Like, and, it's a nervous <laughs> experience. You're like, fuck, don't fuck up my favorite song right now. And there are people who are great performers. Yes. In addition to great recording artists. Yes. Yeah. But, uh, like, okay, when I was in college, um, <laughs> I know there's a weird split bill, but my campus was weird that way because mm -hmm. they would try to appeal to everyone at each event. <laughs> right. So they had which always works, by the way. Perfect. From, from a, yeah. From a what that actually does is piss everyone off That's for right. half of the time. That's right. So they had. <laughs> um, by the way, the best example of them doing that, real quick, was they, we, they had uh, Outcast, which we were very excited about, <laughs> uh -huh. and so everybody showed oh, yeah. up eight hours beforehand. Uh huh. And uh, so they just put the Columbia String Ensemble to play. For the audience, because we had to like reserve while you were dicking around waiting for Outcast to come on. Oh god! And and so it's like, oh, these poor kids—they're just getting booed. They just right. put these classical musicians up to get booed. But anyway, so Sonic Youth and Busta Rhymes was the split bill. <laughs> okay. So Sonic Youth hated being there. They right. every moment was pain for them. Right. They did not want to. I mean, they just played. It was the most lackluster bullshit. 
like we're just gonna play what we have to play and right. take a check. Yeah. And Buster Rhymes was fantastic. Right. He was all over the stage. He They're was happy to he, be there. You know, yeah, back and forth with the crowd. It was wonderful. Right. And I like Sonic Youth and mm-hmm. I like Buster Rhymes. Yeah. And after that concert, I did not like Sonic Youth. Right, yeah. Because I was just like, how the... Well, that's I, I mean, I caught the cult in Seattle when I was up there doing stand-up, and I had uh, one... Basically, I had one night off between shows because I yeah. was shifting venues. And I, I just so happened they were playing, and I'm a huge fan of the cult from back in the day and yada, yada. And so I'm like, no way. They're playing downtown in yeah. Seattle. I mean... It, the the heart of so much great rock music, especially to me, between literally heart and Queensrÿche and the grunge scene uh, and the not so grunge scene, which yeah. I would consider Alice in Chains. By the way, EMP is that museum there is amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. It beats yeah. the shit out of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which by the way is dead to me because they took out Alan Free's ashes, the guy who actually coined the phrase rock and roll, and replaced them with a display of Beyonce's dresses, which I have no I idea know that. why that belongs in a rock and roll hall of fame. I just went there for the sense. first time uh, two weeks ago, actually. I was in town yeah. for the All-Star Game. All and right. I had like an event there. But I got to see Joan Jett sing I Love Rock and Roll at the Rock and Roll Hall That's of Fame, pretty which is pretty cool. Yeah, she's amazing. Anyway, so, yes. we're, okay. So, so far afield. So you saw the cult. We're, yeah. we're afield, but we're still going to finish the story, and then we'll, oh, yeah. we'll go back, to, we'll yeah, so go back are, to the field. These are those moments where, uh, and I think this dovetails into kind of the idea of failure, is that, some of these people don't either aren't aware that they're failing. Yeah. Um, and they think they're winning in that oh, moment, which is that's the interesting. fucking worst. That's really interesting. You know what I mean? When people yeah. the 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 worst go down is when people think they're winning when they're failing and they're yeah. convinced of it and cannot be convinced otherwise. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that kind of madness we associate with stardom on on some majestic level. I oh, there's so many comics I know who yeah. yeah, there's one I could think of in particular. <laughs> there's a little line like, I forget what movie it was. Like, what is this asshole smiling about? Oh, <laughs> uh, Ford Fairlane. Yeah. Like, what is this asshole smiling about when he's talking but, about the, the, the singer who blows, who's like terrible before uh, Dice goes in and sings with everybody and it's yeah. ridiculous and beautiful in its own way. Talk about dumb movies that are awesome. Yeah. Or awesome movies that are dumb, depending on how your perspective. Uh, that they have some shitty auto tune needing, you know, young singer type or whatever, and they, you know, and the kid is t- he's giving the thumbs up on it in between terrible takes. Yeah, this was this asshole smiling about. That is, yeah, that I mean, that should be on the wall of every comedy club. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's so many people who, there's so <laughs> many people. Who like they come off? That's gonna be the name of my next comedy record. What is <laughs> like, this? A big picture of me on the front, like an old school LP, like oh, <laughs> like, like a 1984 picture, like T-shirt, suit jacket with patches on the yeah. elbows. I I come off stage. Well, most almost, of us do. Almost every I mean, time. Very few people can get away with it on stage. Yeah. But... <laughs> oh damn it! Yeah, right. I uh, walk just, into that ring. Yeah, you just have to not. <laughs> Let on. Yeah, right. That's um, true. You got to yeah. wear a special garment. When I uh, leave the stage, <laughs> uh, it's just umbros always. Right, right, yeah. When I leave the stage, um, I am always hardest on myself. In, oh, damn it. <laughs> damn it, I, Yeah. All right. I yeah. am. Yes. You're the yes. most, yeah, you're your worst critic. Yes, I'm yeah. my worst critic. And not just my own, but also the situation. Sure. Like, I had uh, I had a couple shows in Denver mm-hmm. where, like, 
the first night, the room was just way too hot. It yeah. was like 90 degrees outside. They didn't cool it off in time. Sure. And it was good, mm-hmm. but it was good. Yeah. And for that amount of people that were there, it should have been better. Yes. And I had a friend there who had never seen me before, and I was talking to her after the show, and I was like, ugh. I was like, that crowd was so tired, and mm-hmm. you know, I really had to work for it. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, that was amazing. Mm-hmm. And I was... And I didn't want to say this. It sounded egotistical to try to explain I'm a better comic than that. Yeah. I could have done better than right, what right. was there. Sure. And because that just sounds like I'm bragging. But really what I'm saying is that like. Yeah, fuck it. It's true. Yeah. I mean, I, who cares? It's true. It's true in that circumstance. That's yeah. one, you know, that I, I don't care if someone thinks I sound arrogant. That's the probably the main difference between you and I on a personality level is that I'm just I'm all about uh um, being arrogant, I, I don't, you know, my motto is like care enough not to give a shit, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I, it has to matter to me more than it matters to you if yeah. I'm bothering to do it and stand up wise that especially they, I've had amazing shows by anyone else's standard and I'm like, nope, not good enough. Need to work on that. Yeah. And, and it's, it's their opinion doesn't matter. I mean, it's nice as an audience member that it wasn't a fail, you know, and they're aware that they're like, oh, that was solid. That was a solid, uh. Um, show and so no one was denied what they paid for right but it could have been it could have been better yes and but there are other comics who will come off going oh that was great and I'm like really Really? was it now there was a there was a comic that I I met with recently like he was just he was just at a show he was a local comic Mm -hmm. and he was talking to me about uh, he had already told me that he was a less than a year in. Oh, well then. And he was saying... His opinion matters not. Yes. <laughs> but he was anything. saying <laughs> that... He was talking about having good shows and bad shows. Mm. And he said something about like, yeah, you know, you can kill one night and have a terrible show the next night. And I just look at him, I go, I mean no disrespect, but you've never killed. Yeah. And he like paused. I go, I've never seen your act, but I, you've never killed. Yeah. You're less than a year in. You yeah. don't know what killing is. Yeah. And you may have had according to your standards, among the best shows you've had. Right. But that's not killing yet. No. It's impossible for yeah. you to have killed that early. Mm-hmm. That no one's ever done that in the history. You're not You're not Neo. Yeah, like, right. <laughs> you're, you're not going to reinvent this. Exactly. Right. If you are killing that early, it's more than likely because you're copying someone else's style and bit and all that kind of stuff. You may kill early because you have, you have absorbed a style that already functions and you are basically parroting it to some degree. A lot of fans of certain big artists yeah. that really bought into their style early on will have great sets like that, but they are not yours yet. But even yeah. but even then, I still don't think I still don't think it would be possible for him to kill. I I still think that that is doing very well. Mm-hmm. But I think my definition of killing is when you can do no wrong on stage. Mm-hmm. Okay. When you have the audience to such a degree that they will laugh at a premise. Mm-hmm. That they that you can just riff. You've got them to the point of uncontrollable. Yeah. Absolutely right. That's killing. Mm-hmm. There's doing well. Mm-hmm. There's crushing. There's mm-hmm. you yeah. know there there's all these it's other words degrees. for like, it. The stand up. It's like it's like Eskimos and snow. We have a yeah. bunch. <laughs> we, have, we have a thousand different <laughs> words for how well you can do on stage or that's, how poorly. That's amazing. You know. Yeah. Yeah. That show sank. You no, know, that show was kind of middling. Oh, that show bombed that yeah, show yeah 100% into a crevice you know i got it got rocky in the middle but i pulled it out at the yeah end, right? that was i mean and even we we go i've heard oh i ate my own ass on stage yeah. i heard someone say i ate my own ass with 
a knife and fork. Wow. Like there's very, I mean, well, we, we're dis, we describe things for a living. Sure. So. Yeah, right. Yeah. You're, you're always looking. I mean, the, the, I think the essence of, of it, of comedy, especially in the writing of it is, um, s- successful odd analogies are failed normal analogies. So you analogize, mm. this is like this and it is either a fail. It shouldn't be like this. Right. Or it, Oh my God! How is it like this? Oh, it's exactly like this. Yeah. You know, if, if you say something, you know, the old adage would be kind of like a, you know, you know, my my, you know, my my wife's like a hippo in a bathing suit or whatever. Like, and you're like, and the audience is immediately like, "How is that?" And yeah. then you pay it off with whatever that is. I don't have a punchline for that because I don't do wife jokes because I don't have one. But uh, <laughs> it's against I want to write that joke right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, m- m- basically more. Because it doesn't exist. More humans are killed by her than any other animal in the wild, I suppose. But the point being is that that you make the analogy work for comedy's sake. An absurd analogy you actually make functional or a functional analogy you make fall apart. And so that that, like crisscross description is about 80% of what's going on most of the time. By the way, for those watching on YouTube, I want in the comments section you to give us your best Hippo uh, in a bathing suit. My wife line. is like a hippo in a bathing yeah, suit. Right, yeah, line. right. Yeah, right. Yeah, let's 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 make it happen. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about. Uh, I want to talk more about your failure story. But before I do that, uh, we're gonna throw it to break for a second. Sure. Get, get paid here. Yeah, it's wise. And uh, yeah, make it make this work financially. And then mm-hmm. we're gonna come back here with Hal Spark. Smart. All right. Welcome back. Uh, <laughs> welcome back to uh, Failing Forward. Joined here by Hal Sparks. Haven't even talked about your uh, wonderful work in Spider-Man. Oh, yeah, Spider-Man uh, 2, absolutely. Yeah, uh, great that, scene. Talk about, uh, I mean, basically vulturing off of other failures. So uh, the audition pro- – okay, so this is one of those fucked up Hollywood stories where like, okay. it, it'll either make you grind your teeth while you're sleeping or make you incredibly happy that there's, there's hope and possibility. It depends on your perspective, I suppose. But the um, – I – at the time I was with an agency I am no longer with and a fan sent me an email and said they're looking for a guy to do a comedy scene with Spider-Man uh, in the new Spider-Man movie and you'd be perfect for and it and how did that fan know that because they were they were shipping the whole production and they knew they were you know they were looking for spoilers online this is the early day when they before they'd batten down all the leaks early yeah. you know there were a lot of there's a lot of wiggle room for people on the internet around that time, especially to find out what was going on, pictures going up, blah blah blah, and they had cast a guy for it, but then they used him earlier for another scene, and they when they were shooting in New York, and then they moved production to L.A. for a time, and they needed to shoot that here, and they weren't going to bring that guy here and tie it all together. They just needed somebody fresh, so. Uh, they go, you should go in on it. So I call my agent and I go, I want to go in on this. And they're like, you don't want to go in on this. This stupid little, it's nothing. It's it's a little, I'm like, it's in Spider-Man. It's Sam Raimi directing, who's my favorite director. Yeah. Get me the meeting. And they were mad about it. It was like, and I this a, is, and it's not just Spider-Man, it's Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2. 2. Yes. The success of Spider-Man had already existed. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't, yeah, there was no miss in this. And there was no even the... Don't play a, sp- a superhero. You'll never play anything else again. Kind of stuff that rode along for a long time. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, they're like, boy, has oh, that ruined people's careers? Yeah, yeah, huh? really. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, some it has, some it hasn't. It's interesting. It's, um, some people is really dovetailed. You you have to be a, a, a special cut to break out of that stuff. You know, obviously RDJ was able to have two concurrent running, 
you know, him between that and Sherlock actually has two franchises going at once. Yeah. It's amazing. And so, Chris Evans is two different superheroes. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Jumped yeah. from one to the other because they they were he was more likable than the character he played. Yeah. Um and made me like Captain America. That's a whole other story too. That's for the nerdy cartoon podcast later. But yeah. um which I could totally do. I used to collect Captain America. Oh dude, huge Captain America fan. So yeah. we um uh, anyway, so they uh, I, they call up, they get the meeting for me, and I go in there, and it's an improv scene because they don't want to send any script pages out, and they, and they're actually going to have you improv uh, some stuff when you actually come time to shoot, so they just want you to make something up. So I'm sitting in the lobby waiting for this audition, and there were only like six people auditioning for it besides me. So, and these weren't, it wasn't like they were all known, like just names. Like I think I might have been the only name there. Yeah, but. Uh, the rest of them, like, they were just pumping people through. And thank God nobody in L.A. can improv because I'm sitting there. <laughs> I'm on the other side of a wall. And person after person, basically, they're going the, – the, it's one of those shitty moments where the casting person comes out and goes, okay, here's what's going to happen, guys. Is everybody get in here. I don't want to have to say this more than one time like they're doing a fucking Geico ad. Yeah. And they, um, okay. You're going to go in there. You're stuck in a, uh elevator with Spider-Man. Go. That's all we're giving you. That's what you go with. So person after person, I'm sitting on the other side of the wall. I can hear him playing his day through the wall. Everybody goes in. Wow, Spider-Man in an elevator. Man, <laughs> what are you doing in an elevator, Spider-Man? Oh, man, Spider-Man in an elevator. Like, it was hideous. That's horrific. At least if you're doing that, say something about you don't need to use an elevator. Yeah, why are you here? What is right. wrong with you? Are you, yeah, right. Um uh and I I was so angry by the time it was my turn. I went, I feel bad. I have three different versions I would like to do for you. And I did uh the version you saw in the movie which, for anyone uh, unfamiliar... Yeah, nice, uh, yeah, nice spidey was, suit and the whole... Yeah. yeah, you were basically a marketing consultant. Yeah, well, much, that was right? in 2.1. The 2.1, I was the marketing consultant. Um, and that was the long form. So I did a long, okay. a medium, and a short. The medium one um, was just kind of like, you know, stuck in the elevator talking to the guy for a moment. Like, just a, a moment of embarrassment. And then the third one was completely silent. Like, I did a, I did a minute of, I don't want to say a word... I just want to play this whole like, and we shot that one too. That's really and funny. Pieces of it in the cut. So the button stuff, you know, the like, yeah. Okay, that's from a take where nothing was said. That's great. Just, oh, just yeah. the idea of like, don't say anything. Because how, yeah. how do you, because the obvious thing is what everyone else did. Yeah. But then what's funny is nobody him getting talks stuck. in an elevator. Right. Nobody him. talks in an elevator. Why the fuck are you talking at all? I mean, you speak even less if Spider-Man walked in the elevator. So great. It would just be this whole like, yeah, you know, holding that moment because, and basically, it's too conflicting. Because one, it's the guy who wants to say something to Spider-Man but doesn't have enough confidence to say it, so he's completely silent. And the other one is the guy with way too much confidence who sells his business to Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. right. Which, and that whole, uh, you know, Nichols Anderson. Knudsen or whatever thing. I just made that up at the top of my head, and it was just like, I don't have a card, and he's like, I don't have any pockets. That was Toby improving with me as well. Oh, that's it. I don't have him. any pockets. Line yeah, was that was him too. Yeah, yeah. That's the wonderful. Whole, that whole chunk of it. Yeah, yeah. And he, um, he was great. And he, that was the only time it's him in the suit the whole time, whole movie. 
Like most of the time, it's a stunt guy, and they have this chin prosthetic that they make him wear yeah. because his jawline looks very different when he's Spider Man versus yeah. when he's Toby. Um, and so, poor guy, after he took the mask off, after we'd been shooting or whatever, he looked like he'd been in a massage chair for about six weeks because you have all <laughs> these creases in your face. Um, and uh, but he was, yeah, he was totally game to play, and Sam was awesome. I'm just, I'm such a huge fan of what Sam does with the camera. Yeah. His sense of comic timing, both visually and verbally, um, the sort of music he makes with Bruce Campbell comedically in, you know, in terms of horror comedy, it's, I find it bulletproof. And so I was just like, I was, there was no way I wasn't getting this. The, yeah. I mean, and that, that's also incredible to be able to be in that situation where they let you be you. Yeah. Like, I can't stand, and we've talked about it on the show before, I can't stand the trend of, Advertising agencies wanting you to write their commercial. Oh my where god! Where they bring you Just in for have a commercial fun with it and like fuck off. You're not giving me this. You want you're bringing in a bunch of comics and then you're going to hire some square jawed fuck to read my jokes. Right. Absolutely. I had fun with it. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's one of the reasons I stopped going in on improv based uh, stuff. They don't have a written script on a commercial. I wouldn't go anywhere near which, it. Which is funny because I love being able to improv in a role. Yes. I've done, I've only done two movies, mm -hmm. but in both of them, they let me, yeah. they go, yeah, read through it once and then do what you want. Yeah. And in both of them, the, the stuff that I wanted made it. Right. And there was, there was one thing, it didn't end up making the cut, but I had an idea for it where I was playing, a, uh, I was basically playing an, uh, an asshole drunk guy in first class. Right who this fallen star was walking by me and I was getting all excited that he was there. I thought he was going to sit next to me and he goes and sits back in coach. Right. So I decided, I was like, can I send him a teeny liquor bottle? Mm -hmm. Like, I think that would be funny as right. if I bought that for yeah, him, yeah, you yeah. know? And so they had someone dress up as a flight attendant so I could call her over yeah. and be like, send him one on me, you know? Yeah. And it didn't make the cut, but they liked it enough that yeah. they put it in. And it felt so good because like I'm not an actor, I'm a writer, I'm a comic, right. and so being able to craft that moment and have it actually, them, yeah. them follow through with it, them believe in it enough to actually wrangle up an under five to take care of this. Exactly, yeah. and who knows if it got cut for time or they didn't like how it came out, or sure. I don't know, but the idea of- I don't take anything personally in the industry. That's my yeah. rule number one, Yeah, and honest to God, like there are so many, there's the factors involved are like questioning your own cellular evolution. It is yeah. fucking impossible to, it's arrogant beyond measure to take the blame for something failing even to some degree because it's just, there's so many moving parts. If you're worth your snuff and you're there and you're supposed to be there, yeah. there's a hundred reasons why your shit didn't get cut, why didn't make the cut or whatever. So yeah, I across the board, like that's helped me with, like get through the concept of rejection in the business has always been incredibly foreign to me just because I've been so aware of what goes on with production that if a mo if I don't get a role, I'm not like, they didn't like me. How, how could I? It's impossible. Yeah. Was it my hair? Was it my face? Should I get a nose job? Like, what the fuck? I don't care. It, like, yeah, because you don't know why no. they could have gone with someone else for a million different reasons. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I literally found out when I didn't get a big movie because I looked like I could be the main protagonist's brother and I was supposed to be his antagonist. That was the only reason I didn't get it. Because you looked, looked like too much like the... Yep. Yeah. And I was like, that's not that's not a criticism of any of me. As a matter of fact, yeah. it means like I could be related to the lead 
handsome lead actor guy oh, or whatever. I can't yeah. tell you how many movies yeah. where they cast two people that look too much alike, and I'm like, wait, which one was that guy? Yes, the, right. Oh, it and kills I'm, me. I, it's smart of them not to hire me for that thing. Yeah. I have no problem with that either. So, yeah. And on, it's funny because I, you know, as far as like improv and stuff, like I've been in the entire spectrum where on Queer as Folk, we, every um was in the script. Yeah. It had to be word for word to the point where they were so strict about it that they that if there was a typo, I would intentionally mispronounce the word for a couple of reasons. One was to point out how absurd it is a little bit that you're making me stick to the script that hard and you're not yeah. you missed your own typos like <laughs> you care. Yeah. But at the same time, people misspeak all the time. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, and maybe pe- that's what they wanted yeah, you to do. Yeah, I don't mind fucking up a word in you know in real dialogue that makes it sound a little more human and a little more real. And we just move on as if I said everything correctly. And, you know, especially if your you know your character is the kind of person who would make a mistake, hold his embarrassment internally, and move on regardless. Yeah, that seemed like a, a great concept. It was like so I treated those moments like an Ibsen play where it's just nonsense. You know, where it's, the words don't mean anything. You infuse yeah. them with whatever. But then on Lab Rats on my Disney show. Chris and Brian were so awesome and would encourage me to come up with jokes as much as I wanted. So I'd get 10, 12 jokes in a show sometimes. It was awesome. We literally had one joke at one point where we finished shooting the scene and I was like, I went to the director, Victor, and I was like, I got I got another punchline. And he goes, they'd already started moving all the cameras and everything to the other yeah. side of the studio. Like it was a whole big, you know, move camp thing. And I told him and he was like, all right, yeah, let's go back. Everybody back. Come here, come here. And that's the oh, one that made the great. cut. So, yeah. And um, there's a scene, there's an episode called Memory Wipe where the, I keep getting blasted with this thing that makes me younger and younger to the point where I'm an infant in a man, in a grown man's body. I'm like, my brain has basically, I've, I'm back to being a, a toddler. And I they let me improvise everything that I said. And so I... I didn't even remember what I said because it was so much. The volume was so high because I was prattling yeah. like a toddler. And I think I, um, I, I made some joke about like, the, like, will you act like an adult? And I'm like, um, I said something like, I can, um, I know, I'll have a mustache that'll make me look grown up. And then I went, it smells like knuckle. <laughs> it was just, I just, <laughs> and they, they cut it. Because they thought it was dirty. The, the standards and practices thought I was making like a finger sniffing joke. Yeah, but and I was you're... literally like just a kid with my own knuckle under my nose. Right. Saying smells like knuckle. And I always like to this day, smells like knuckle makes us all break up. At, it a, you know, it's a funny, it's a funny line. line. Right. Um, but I watched that episode and I laugh till I'm crying because I didn't I don't remember anything I said. So it, to me, it's the newest. It's like watching me. After I woke up from a coma and found out what I did. It's great. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, Hal, I could talk to you about this stuff forever. We that's actually right. have to wrap up. I know. But it uh, it makes sense that the episode with Hal Sparks, we talk a lot about success, not just failure, because you've yeah. been such a success at so many things. That's right. Um, uh, but I, I will say, you know, kind of wrap up on the idea of like failing forward is that I don't believe in, in failure in art. Um, it's this, and again, and talk about unpopular opinions about stand up. I don't believe there's any such thing as a person who has tried stand-up. I believe there are stand-ups and there are people who have failed at stand-up. You don't try it. You fail at it and you leave it forever. And if you continue doing it and it is your thing and you turn it into an art form, you don't do stand-up. You are a stand-up. I'm with you on that. It is is because 
doing something is it you know is like working on a factory line like you do that but if they didn't pay you you wouldn't show up as a comedian there's a drive that's internal and biological organic intellectual and psychological and spiritual that is just fused all together and you are that thing and so in that finding your way to the stand-up that you're gonna be is a bumpy fucking road it's a it's tough but as long as you're doing it there's no failure in it because you're finding out as you go like you, you know the you know my only things that even qualify as failures is recognizing that I should never work when I'm sick, physically ill. I've only had three bad, what I would consider three bad shows in my life. And they've all been where I've had over 102 degree temperature, but I worked anyways. Yeah. Cause, and even then that was kind of like what you were talking about earlier. Like it wasn't a show that it could have been better. It wasn't that yeah. it was bad by other people's standards. I just didn't, own up to my own standard i've had more than three yeah well, all right. well you know, not everybody's me but i also also interpret shows differently i think specifically for that purpose like well there's one yeah. that there's one that stands out to me yeah that i did a show where i was getting tired of doing my act over and over again mm-hmm. and i ad lib a lot to begin with yeah. and i just decided to just shoot the shit and talk to the crowd and see what came out mm-hmm. and sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't and this was one where it doesn't mm-hmm there was someone who went to the show and she wrote a kind of a nasty blog about it. And I was talking to a friend of mine about how I was bummed about the blog. And they're like, it's some stupid person with a blog. And I go, I don't care that she has that opinion. I care that she was right. Yeah, sure. Okay. Like it was valid. Yeah. I I mailed it in, mm-hmm. you know, right. and that's my fault. Yeah, yeah. And she wasn't, yeah, she was harder on me than she needed to be. Right. But she wasn't wrong. Right, right. And so that... Yeah, and I'm with you. The idea of, I mean, the whole point of the podcast is that failure is a step to success. Yeah. And so I needed that show to remind me that, mm-hmm. like, find a way to not be bored with the material. Yeah, Find absolutely. a way to make it new. Yeah, you, you must be emotionally connected to your material. You have, yeah. you have to give a shit more than the audience does about what you're saying. Change the order of a joke. Yeah. Change the inflection on one line. That's to, right. You know what? Write one new bit. Whatever it is. Find something to care about yeah or kill it and throw in something that that excites and shocks you yeah because that's the other thing too and like right now i'm doing these uh, i have a residency at flappers in burbank and i'm every month i do a show uh just one regular night or whatever next the burbank comedy festival and then after that like right before my birthday right before thanksgiving right before december once a month and those shows are 100 percent improv i'm not prepping at all i don't even allow myself to prep I walk on stage, like zen myself out, blank as much as I can because those shows are for that. And I will write 45 minutes worth of keeper material every single show. I, in my estimation, and it's been great. Like, which is hilarious because you're only on for a half hour. That's so, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> like, if the audience only knew. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I do a, a solid hour plus. I'm a minimum of an hour, and then I'll drift if I want to. Yeah. And it's not wandering. I'm not meandering. I come up there, and I'm most of the like nobody knew the last show was made up on stage, and nor yeah. should they. That's the whole point of me doing these shows this way is that I you have to walk the my goal for this and I have to come up with or with a goal that the audience walks away thinking it's a it's a it's a special I've been working on or something. Yeah. But it's got to come out raw that night. Wow. Yeah. And um and that's, you know, part of me just getting offended at people overwriting and over critiquing stuff when you're there to make people laugh, you know, and so that like that's my own 
chip on my shoulder. I'll do use. I'll do an hour of ad lib shows. I used to do this thing at clubs because the Sunday show was always lighter. Sure. And so what I would do is I would give out tickets over the course of the week. You come see me Thursday, you can come back Sunday for free, and Sunday is 100% ad lib. Mm-hmm. But it was advertised that way, and part of the way I advertised it was I said, and sometimes it's magic and sometimes it's a train wreck, but yeah. we're going to find out together. Right. But even that telling them that it's ad lib gives you more leeway uh, yeah, and gives them more appreciation what you're doing where you're doing it as if it's not but it is yeah that to me is terrifying I'm, i give I you wouldn't, all the props for yeah that. i feel like it, i can't let myself have an exit ramp because yeah. if i do i'll take it yeah i'll mention it maybe three quarters of the way the, through the show going this is all off the top of my head so blah 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 if i yeah. just if i basically to impress them yeah <laughs> but but like um, because when it's clear to me that they're aware that, uh, like, they're like, this is rolling and it's great. And I've gotten them really hard five or six times in a row. And I'm like, by the way, none of this is written. I'm making it up right up here. And, yeah. and I want to own that space right now for myself as an artist. It's really important to me. And, um, and so I guess the potential for it failing is, of course, there. But that's stand up. Yeah, you know that's that's true. Even if you have a, a well crafted Carlin esque, you know, near monologue like bit where you've written out everything. If you're, you know, Dangerfield or Jesselnick or yeah, whatever, you're doing joke by joke doesn't it, hit. Yeah, it can tank even if you've worked your ass off. So to some degree, and that's almost more terrifying. More terrifying for me is if I went up there and I'd really worked hard on this and I just written them like I'm debuting my show and it was like. Pfft, yeah, um, that would be horrifying. But going up there and going, you know what? I'm walking a tightrope without a net. This is way more exciting for me. And and each moment that I'm up there, every minute I'm up there, I'm, my brain is firing to make sure that in 30 seconds to 45 seconds in a loop, I have a punchline or a joke coming or a reference coming or a moment that's funny. Yeah, and I'm and and that I find so exciting. That I don't give a shit about the dangers involved theoretically. That's that's great. You know what I mean? Because that's what excites yeah. me. And I guess it's the potential for failure is what you know makes it exciting a little bit. But uh, you know, I think the keys to stand up, especially early on, are arrogance and stupidity. And later on, they develop into confidence. Yeah. But in the beginning, it's all arrogance and stupidity. It's like <laughs> I have no idea if anybody's going to think this shit is funny. And it's it, what an arrogant act to stand on a stage and think you can make somebody laugh before you've ever done it. I think confidence is arrogance plus stupidity plus experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it, <laughs> like, it, that's it the ages, formula. Yeah, age it like a wine barrel, but yeah. basically, yes. So th- those shows specifically have that point. And I'm, I'm this close to doing a year of all my shows being raw. Wow, not a single re- repeat, even if I'm in another town. And that's hard for me because I'll pull stuff. Do you and always not even record think about it? it? Yes, always. Okay. Because oh, that, that shit should be on YouTube. Take the well, highlights that's what I'm of doing. it. And, right yeah. now it goes to my patrons because that's kind of why I yeah. started doing this. I, got, I A lot of people were coming to multiple shows, and I always feel bad when people come to multiple yeah. shows. It's like they need more stuff. They don't think that, but I think that. That's for me. But So what I decided was for anybody who's a, you know, a Patreon supporter, I'll tape these shows, put them on there first so they get to see yeah. them. If they're in another town or whatever, it's kind of like they get a free comedy ticket you know, for each. And especially each of these every month. These guys get a show yeah. just for them. And and then after they've been up for a little while, then I'll post them to everybody else. Yes. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. 
All right, Hal, so uh, tell the people how they can come see you then. HalSparks.com, at HalSparks on Twitter and Instagram, uh, the HalSparks fang page on uh, Facebook, if you if you do Facebook anymore. Uh, and then, um, in general, you know, my, I got a calendar there and that kind of stuff. I will be, um, I'm in a side project called Nerd Halen. Uh, from, I have a regular band, like a metal band that I'm in all the time called yeah. Zero One. Um, but I also have a side project right now called Nerd Halen, which is uh, we all dress up as nerds and do Van Halen songs, but we're they're just like the record. They're perfect renditions. That's so fun. So uh, next up, we're August 5th. We're at the Whiskey, um, and then we'll be doing little shows here and there. We'll probably do some shows with Steel Panther this fall. Oh, that's great. Yeah, because I've sung with those guys. Uh, and then Tuesdays, the uh, first two Tuesdays in September, I'm doing uh, the Ultimate Jam Night at the Whiskey. I will sing and host at those kind of things. Tomorrow night, uh, from when this is taped, I'm actually uh, taping a show, uh, like a TV show all day tomorrow, but then I tomorrow night, I'm singing uh, a Velvet Revolver song uh, for their Slash Night. Uh, you know, um, they're celebrating Slash because it's Dude, birthday. that's so week. cool. Yeah, so that's always a part of my life, too. Um, and and so I do the I sing at the whiskey basically every other Tuesday most of the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Hal, it's such a pleasure to have Dude. you on, and could have talked about this for another hour. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll do it again yeah. sometime. You know, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll 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 try and fail somewhere and then come back. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll intentionally I'll pencil in failure as promised. Unwavering confidence. Uh, right. As always, like, comment, subscribe, share right. with your friends. Thanks for watching.